I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, one and all, to episode 267 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, recording this at 1 to 2 in the morning, <laughs> the day that I will be releasing this episode, April Fool's Day, and April Fool's in the U.S. and other parts of the world. For example, here in Spain, the equivalent of April Fool's is done sometime in December. So there have been a few times where hard rock and metal artists have said something in the regular press or even on social media about, you know, joining a band or leaving a band or retiring or whatever. And the press here in Spain has run with it. And then like a day later posting, oh yeah, we forgot April Fool's is the equivalent of our day of innocence or of the whatever, the the gullible people, whatever however you want to um, mention it. So, uh, yeah, so kind of interesting. It was funny. I was thinking of a twist of saying something like, uh, yeah, I'm leaving podcasting. But uh, I think that would come back to, um, you know, if a tree falls in the woods, would anyone hear it? You know, one of those things. So I want to thank you for listening to this episode. It is a fun episode with some of my patrons. It is our 1982 episode. And for those that aren't aware, what I do with these episodes is I ask my patrons to send in a list of their 10 favorite albums, in this case, albums that came out in 1982, and then their assigned points based on where they were located on the list. So number one gets 10 points, number two gets nine points, number three gets eight, all the way down to 10, which gets one point. I total those numbers up, and then from there, I create this uh, master list that has everything tallied and we go based on that. It's always a fun time because anytime that I have my patrons on, it's always fun. And, and I don't say this because, you know, there are people that support me uh, economically, <laughs> um, you know, honestly. Uh, but a lot of these people follow me with all of the different things that I do from Trivia Tuesday to the Fireside Pre-Show so on and so forth. You know, they're there at every step of the way. And I think that a lot of people, you know, don't join up on Patreon, A, because they don't have the money to do so, B, they don't feel inclined to do so, or C, I think a lot of people have tried, you know, other people's Patreon pages or, you know, crowdfunding or whatever and gotten burnt. You know, I've subscribed to a bunch of people over the years and just given up because it was, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to give you this, that, the other thing. And then it turns out that they, you know, post once a month or once every few months. And, you know, I always say this, I get it. If you, 
If you've listened to the show plenty of times, you'll say, ah, he's beating a dead horse here. Okay. You are correct. But I'm trying to give you the experience that I would want to receive. For example, I had one of my patrons, I was speaking to them behind the scenes, and he said to me, hey, just so you know, you've given me more content in this week than any of these other Patreon pages that I subscribe to. He goes, I have no problem. You know, I love what they do. But just so you know, you're giving me more bang for my buck. And for as little as two bucks a month, you can become a patron. You can be part of these special Patreon episodes. You can get the Victor M. Ruiz podcast and a bunch of video content, which I post. You can also pal around with Jeremy Weltman. Here's Jeremy Weltman with Patreon's Club. Hello, everyone, and time for another patron's pick. It's the last week of March, the beginning of April, in fact, as I'm speaking to you. And there's quite a lot of good stuff that came out over the past week. There was the Bomber album, which has been really exciting. A lot of patrons called Nocturnal Creatures on Napalm Records, a really solid debut on, on the label by the Swedish band, that one. Our resident Swedish patron is looking forward to seeing them live as well. So check that one out. There's a, a raw new wave of traditional heavy metal album. It's actually probably an EP. It's quite a, quite a short one. It's called Iron Shackles by a band called Lucifer, uh, L-U-Z-I-F-E-R. I really love stuff like this. It's, um, it's on High Roller Records, by the way. It reminds me of um, how fun music should be. And in fact, that's quite a theme for many of the other uh, albums this week that I've liked. There was a Rough and Ready EP from Volcanova called Cosmic Bullshit on the Sign Records. Um, these are sort of what you call low-down-the-order festival bands, but they're really good fun. There was a third one as well uh, from the Swedish band. Now, here I'm going to pronounce this wrong, I know. Uh, I think it's pronounced Uskvuda or Askvuda. Uh, the album's called Phoenix. It's also on the Sign Records, and it's a real fun classic rock sound with a sort of soft but, but also quite punky edge. And I describe them as really a great pub band. A couple of others I just wanted to mention that I've heard. Melodic Hardcore from Ignite on Century Media. That was a really good album. I like that sort of type of music. And also Hardcore Superstar are back with some classic metal on the album Abracadabra. But this week's pick, well, it's a really exciting one for me. It's uh, an album that got delayed. It was then released a, a week early, which uh, caught Victor out, um, he mentioned to me. But it was uh, certainly well worth the wait. It's War of the Worlds Part 2 by the Symphony X guitarist Michael Romeo, or Michael Romeo. In fact, I'm wondering how you actually pronounce his surname. I think in the UK we would say Romeo, and I think probably in the States you'd probably say Romeo. I'll go with Romeo. That's fine. It's his third solo album. It's a follow-up to the 2018 album War of the Worlds Part 1, which was also really good. This one, though, has Dino Jelisic on vocals. He's the new Whitesnake backing vocalist that everybody's getting excited about and who's obviously going to help out David Coverdale on the tour. He's on the vocals, and it's all the better for it. Believe me, it's really uh, an immense album, and there's some immense um, songs on here like Divide and Conquer, 
which uh, opens up with full of brooding power and nifty guitar work and, and a sort of a dose of Disney, Disney-esque cinematic soundscape as well, because it's an album that follows the, uh, the book and it's sort of made for a movie, really. It goes on with um, the songs Destroyer, there's Metamorphosis, uh, a ballad that's called Just Before the Dawn, which is very good. Uh, there's a lot of hard-hitting symphonic prog metal. It's characterized by the incredible guitar wizardry, really, of um, Michael. And he's backed up by uh, John Macaluso on drums again and John DeServio on bass. If you buy this one, make sure, though, you get the bonus tracks edition. Um, I listened to the two. Now, one of them, the second track, is a bit so-so and can be missed. But the first of the two bonus tracks is called The Perfect Weapon, and it's unbelievably good. It's probably one of the best on the album, and I wish it had gone on to the main album. So pick it up, play it loud. Michael Romeo's War of the Worlds Part 2 is this week's incredible patron's pick. There you go. Jeremy Weltman with his patron's pick from 2 a.m. to 11 a.m. I'm concluding the recording of this. Uh, anyway, I've always heard it as Michael Romeo myself. I've never heard it as Michael Romeo, although in Spain I could see people pronouncing it that way. Um, Jeremy's just one of the many patrons that shows support and helps out, and that's always a fun segment to hear. Uh, let me give a shout out to the other patrons that are joining us here. It is uh, Twisted Steve Hoker. It is our Mike Jones. It is Brad Dahl from Yarg Metal. It is the metal dentist Gabriel Ruiz from the Chris and Amanda show. Chris Vaglio, Jose in Connecticut, Metal Dan, Johan up in Sweden. We have uh, Ed the Shred Ferguson. We have Anthony Mackey in Ireland. And we have my brother, Art, and we have Steven Saylor, who I don't want to forget. And a bunch of these guys joined me for today's episode. Uh, my brother, Art. Anthony Mackey is there. <laughs> he couldn't make noise because his family being asleep. You know, uh, it is very late for those in the UK and those in Europe. So um, it is extra special for me that they join us. And I don't know, I've been thinking lately about, you know, with the time difference and stuff about maybe shifting things and maybe because the shows aren't more, I don't know, um, available to people in the U.S. Uh, when it's live, uh, we did this show at 7 p.m. Eastern. So you would think that, I don't know, maybe with the hour difference, there would be some sort of a difference in the uh, crowd joining us in the chat and whatnot, but no, it's pretty much par for the course. So um, it was uh, it was still fun nonetheless, and I'm always trying different things out to see what we can do to better what's going on with everything that I have going on with, uh, with Signals from Mars, with the Mars Attacks podcast, with Trivia Tuesday, and with the Fireside pre-show. It is always great when people join us for the first time and, and when they continue to join us, you know, there've been spurts here of new people joining us for a week or two and then not being able to do so. And Hey, I get it. Life gets in the way, but uh, yeah, nonetheless, I appreciate anyone that can listen to this show, anyone that can share it, 
And sure, I spend time every show talking about the patrons because again, they're there for they're there supporting me with all of this stuff. And you know, as I was saying before, uh, it's not only an economic thing; it's also you know, getting that uh, proverbial pat on the back and getting feedback from people is is great. And the cool thing that we do have with this group is that it is a troll-free group where, you know, there isn't any bickering. There isn't any type of quote-unquote gatekeeping with people's opinions having to be better than other people's opinions. And, you know, we we have the Johan effect where we talk about, you know, where he gets uh, kind of rambunctious when it comes to certain topics, but it's all in good fun. It isn't, you know... It, it, no one is insulting anyone else. No one is trolling anyone else. So, uh, again, if you think that the group might be something for you, and, and I was reading earlier this week how people were saying on a, a certain group in Facebook, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be turned on to more new music. And I was like, hello, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for all types of people, you know, whoever wants to... Um, Wants to join us, you can, for as little as two bucks a month. And, and I get it. You know, some people may say, ah, stop shilling this shit. All right. But, you know, maybe there are people that are unaware. Maybe there are people that came here just for the 1982 special. And they didn't realize that uh, the, the entire process. So um, next month or April this month, we're going to do an episode based on um a band uh was bands well either a band or uh maybe a category let's see what what the patrons once again they get a say before anyone else let's see what they choose and then based on that we'll we'll roll with it and then we'll pick a date to do the next patron uh special so if you want to be part of this and want to have your voice heard maybe you can't appear on the show but you want to submit a list or whatnot, you can. Just join us. It's all you need to do. So uh, go to MarsAttacksRadio.com for more information on this. And yeah, there's going to be some exciting up and coming things going on with the site. So keep tuned in for that. In any event, here we go. Welcome one and all to the Friday, March 25th edition of the Signals from Mars live stream. And I am joined by a bunch of my patrons from all around the world. Uh, tonight we will be talking about albums that came out in 1982. Over on Fireside we counted down albums 53 all the way down to... 16 and we're going to be talking about 15 through one um and when i mentioned that we're all around the world i know that johan has been trying to log in um he'll, he'll be back hopefully in a second and um let's see we have uh, anthony mackie joining us for the first time in ireland here how are you anthony good awesome we have uh jeremy weltman in the uk 
Yeah, hi, Victor. Yeah, we have uh, Johan, who is now back in Sweden. Johan, hey, how hey. are you? I'm doing good. Uh, Thank you. Steve, I guess, got jealous with Johan, and now they're battling between who's going to be Metallica's Black Album and who's going to be uh, Back in Black here. Oh, I guess he didn't like my choice of Back in Black. For him. Uh, anyway. Uh, we have uh, Brad Dahl saving the world, and he's also with us here on uh, tonight's stream. Brad, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Guy, it's uh, uh, great to see uh, uh, everybody here, and especially Anthony, and having him join in. Yeah, and we have uh, Metal Dan out in California. How are you cheers. there? Cheers, cheers. Warm and good. Awesome. And then uh, finally, uh, we have my brother in New Jersey. How are you, sir? Very good, very good. I just realized what the acronym when I go dark here is, which uh, I thought was pretty funny. Oh, SOB. There you go. All right. <laughs> there you go, Brad. <laughs> anyway, so so we counted down a, b a bunch of albums already, up to 16. There were 53 that were voted on in total. Um, and uh, we're going to get down to the, you know, the, the, the nitty gritty of it here, 15 through 1. Uh, if anyone wants to discuss any of these albums, whether good, bad, or indifferent, uh, you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, we're going to just try to not talk over uh, one another, hopefully, but we'll see how that goes. Um, and for those that are watching this either live or watching the replay, uh, how this list came about is that I asked my patrons to submit a top 10 list of their favorite albums for 1982 album number one got 10 points number two got nine points eight got three all the way down to number 10 which received one point um no problem anthony <laughs> just uh do what you can um and uh let's see here all right um, so we're going to kick things off here. And it was funny because we talked about this on Fireside, how uh, depending on where you grew up in the world, depending on when you got into certain bands, um, there are certain bands that made this list. For example, we talked about the fact that um, Venom's uh, Black Metal, which was number 53 came in so low, but it's an album that helps shape an entire genre of metal. Um, the people that voted on it, I mean, obviously there are people that are more into the more extreme forms of, uh, of metal. Um, so it makes sense that it's on the list, but at the same time, you know, there are bands that we saw on here, um, that, uh, Jeremy pointed out if there were more people from, uh, the UK, maybe some of these bands would be higher. We talked about diamond head, which came in at 32 with borrowed time that for a lot of people, as Jeremy was pointing out to people like Malcolm dome and famous, you know, journalists have always put this album towards the top of their list for, uh, this year. So again, if there are more people from certain places, 
they um they would have probably been listed higher. And there, there are quite a few others that I could see on the list that that could happen as well. But uh, we're going to start out with number 15 here. Uh, number 15 is an album by Whitesnake. It is Saints and Sinners. Now, in order to, to get to uh, 15... Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, interesting point. W- would we have voted for the same albums in uh, back in '82? Well, well, that's that that's interesting because I mean, for some of these albums, uh, it really depends on when you got into the band because there's certain albums here that I even I voted for that I didn't get into them until much after the albums came out or that the bands were popular. So um, I can, I can see exactly where that's what, what you mean by that. Um, anyone want to uh, discuss uh, Satan sinners by white snake, Jeremy, you held it up. Yeah. Um, well, white snake were a huge band for me at the time. I was 15 years old in 82. Um, and I bought this album. Uh, I used to love, the bluesy white snake with Bernie Marsden and Mickey Moody. Um, and to me, it's got, I mean, it's just got amazing songs on it. Here I go again is on it. Saints and sinners is on it. Obviously crying in the rain. Um, you know, just every song is brilliant. It's, it's a, it's a surefire winner for me. Uh, and I think it was a really big seller in the UK at the time because white snake were really, really popular. Um, so all of my friends used to have this album. Yeah, that's interesting. The songs that you mentioned, because in recent weeks I've talked about how certain guitarists or bands have regurgitated riffs because maybe they were on albums that weren't that popular. And then they use them again. You have kiss having the oath on the elder, which wasn't a big seller at all. And then that same, um, uh, riff was used on uh, Lick It Up for the song Exciter. So it was almost like, all right, since no one paid attention, let's use this again. And what I'm getting at with this long-winded story is David Coverdale didn't even bother with that. He just said, screw it. Let's just redo the song again two albums later because he did that with both Crying in the Rain and with, uh, with Here I Go Again, obviously, which Here I Go Again is they released a what? Three different three different variations of that song over the years. So, and that's without counting all the the single edits. (laughs) So um, anyone else want to mention something about saints and sinners? All right. We'll move it on along here. Then number 14, it is assault attack. By the Michael Shanker group, the only album to feature um, Graham Bonnet on lead vocals for Shanker at that time. Obviously, uh, with the last few albums where he's brought back everyone who sung with him, Graham has been back uh, singing with Michael. Uh, But this was our first, uh, the first time that we saw him uh, singing with Michael. Uh, Brad, did you raise your hand there? You want to? 
Sure. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, I love this album. Uh, I, I think musically it's hugely strong. I think the, the instrumental on there is great. I think Michael's in top form. Uh, Graham's voice is kind of a, a bit of an acquired taste for me. Um, he's, he's uh, you know, kind of pushing it. He's, he's real gravelly on this, which is, it's, it's okay. But the, I, for me, it's the, the music that really carries it. The band is really strong on this album as well. Drawing is good. plays on this, I believe. Um, yeah. So I, I just, and, and the production on it is great. I, I love the drum sounds and, yeah, it's a very strong album. Listened to it quite a bit and still do. So there you go, Art. I, I listened to it. I would have voted it back then, and I'm voting it now because I still listen to it. There you go. Yeah, I, I know Victor had a soft spot in his heart for the Shankner brothers. No, well, the the first two albums to me are, are much better than anything that he's ever released after, but that's just my personal uh preference there uh this album is, is okay for me i mean i think the song desert song is awesome but even even with that desert song is um to me sounds a lot like uh love to love from ufo so again that's one of these things where he kind of reused the riff and that riff is heavily influential on megadeth because Dave Mustaine has put stuff out that sounds somewhat like that as well. And it's funny because I spoke to um, uh, years ago when I met the guys from uh, Angelus Apatrida, there's a song of theirs called uh, Gone Away, I believe it is. And I, I mentioned to uh, the guitarist, I said, mm, I bet you got that from Mustaine, but it's a Shanker riff. And he said, yeah, I've never listened to any Michael Shanker in my life. I go, well, he's a big influence on uh, Dave Mustaine. So that's where that's where that's coming from. So uh, anyone else want to mention anything about Assault Attack? All right. Let's move on to uh, lucky number 13 here. We have Aerosmith with Rock in a hard place. Anyone want to mention something about this album? All right. Let's yeah, that was go. one of my picks. I mean, right, it's, it's a near perfect album. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Dan. It's one of my picks. Uh, where was I at? I was, I had a higher, but uh, I love the album, even though the uh, core of the band kind of broke up at the time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, d you didn't have any issue with um, with no Perry or, or Whitford in the band. Did, no, was that even great. anything? Okay, did it means you? Nothing. Okay, <laughs> uh, were you were you into the album when it came out, or is this something that you revisited later on as an Aerosmith fan? Revisited later on, but we all heard lightning strikes on KMET in Los Angeles back in the day. And what a way to open a show or yeah to get that's a great opener it's not the opening on the on the album but right the opening on the song the album was great too gotcha okay um anyone else want to say anything about rock and hard place 
Yeah, I'd just say that I agree. I, it didn't make my top 10, but um, I bought it at a later date. And I think it's a, a quite an overlooked album in the canon of Aerosmith. I think it's um, it's right up there, really. There's some really good songs on it. And and it didn't really suffer for Joe Perry not being not being there. Well, you're you're a bigger fan of uh, Latter Day Aerosmith. Would would I be correct in saying that, Jeremy? No, I like all of it. I, I like it right the way back to the beginning, really. So um, you know, I like I like a lot of this stuff. But I I think that one is not talked about enough. I, I think that people right. have sort of forgotten it. And I, you know, I agree with Metal down there. I think it's um, you know it's a really good album. It stands on its own. I think it should be listened to again. Yeah, I think people's biggest thing, obviously, is with the switching the guitars, but uh, also mm. there's all these tales about Steven Tyler having a hard time coming up with lyrics where he lifted the lyrics of a McDonald's commercial and added it to one of the songs. One of the songs has lyrics about um, a Big Mac, pickles, and <coughs> two slices of cheese or something like that because he was so... <laughs> blitzed out of his mind he couldn't come up with lyrics that came on the tv and he decided to uh to add it well sometimes sometimes i mean some of these guys go through uh writer's block um you know absolutely he's lucky that that back in 82 and not 2022 because i'm sure somebody would have sued him for for lifting the lyrics to the commercial Plus, plus there was a lot of heavy, heavy white powder usage. If, if I remember um, mm. the interview correctly, yeah, no, no, without a doubt. I so. think, and I quote, uh, "We must have sniffed half a Peru." Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on to number twelve, here we have. Motorhead with Iron Fist. Anyone want to talk about this album? I can say something. Okay, go ahead, Johan. Uh, not the greatest motor, Motorhead album, but uh, the title song is one of the greatest Motorhead songs of all time. Uh, and that weights up a lot to me. But uh, the album isn't that great, but the song is 10 out of 10. Yeah, it, it, agree? go ahead. No, I, I actually have it uh, as number seven on my list. I actually enjoy this album quite a bit. Um, the, the one thing with Motorhead, I think up until a certain period of time and, and even up to their like last two or three albums, I, I can always find like five or six songs per album that I like. So, and, and I went back to put this list together. There's quite a few songs off of this that I actually enjoy. Is it their best album? I, I don't think it is, but I still think that there's a lot of good stuff on there personally, but that's just my opinion. I think it's tough to put together a whole album where both sides you're going to have killer songs all all the way. You know, so I mean, if if you get one really 
super good song, I think, you know, <clears throat> you're you're ahead of the game and they, they always came up with something good. You know? Just look at look, look at their library. Yeah, well, I, I think they were lucky enough that out of the I don't know how many 30 albums that they released, they, they at least had like one good song per album so that their live show at so least takes. Yeah. So um coming in at eleven. Cheap trick with one on one. This was voted by quite a few people. Any anyone want to uh discuss it? It's a near perfect album too. It's I have it higher than that. And you look at the song list and it's great. I mean there I think there's kind of uh one sort of dud in my opinion with uh, Saturday at midnight only because what the hell were they doing? It's a, it's a weird <laughs> song, but the rest of it, I just love cheap trick. So hit after it. Love it. Cool. She's and tight. I, I, there's just song after song on that one. Go ahead. Yeah, no, she's tight is obviously one of their biggest songs and one of their bigger songs to come out after, you know, what most people know them for, for the, you know, the, the seventies hits. So, I mean, it goes to show that the band, even though radio and, you know, the casual fan focused on the seventies, they still put out good material beyond that. So uh, anyone else want to mention anything about one-on-one by cheap trick? All right. Number 10. Misfits with Walk Among Us. Anyone want to talk about Walk Among Us? Steve? I, I totally missed it. You totally Off missed it. Left. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, for those that don't know, you know, I've been in and out of a uh, Misfits tribute band uh, probably since uh, 2010. So I'm pretty well versed with this, which is uh, interesting because a band out of New Jersey that I didn't really get into until I moved away from New Jersey, at least not their older stuff, because what I heard on the radio was the Michael Graves era when it came out in the mid-90s. The early stuff, the Glenn Danzig stuff, wasn't readily available Um, you know, on radio or anywhere else. And in the early eighties, you really had to be in the know, even if you were from the area, Um, a band that has always mixed, you know, punk pop horror metal at times. Um, They've just been great at finding their niche and making lyrics that shouldn't be enjoyable or funny or stuff that should get stuck in your head. They they've always found ways to make earworms and different things that just stood out and just got stuck in your head and just made you want to sing and, and play this stuff. It's immensely fun to play this stuff. And it's immensely fun to see people interact with you as you're playing these songs live and, you know, seeing people uh, just enjoy this stuff. Um, so it was it was on my list, and I'm glad that it made it uh, in at number ten because I, I do believe that it should be there. And and just seeing with the uh, resurgence of the band in the last few years, 
with the uh, quote unquote original band getting back together again, although it's only two original members. Um, I mean, it's cool that they've had that kind of resurgence and that type of following. And we'll see uh, if anything else uh, continues uh, with misfits beyond that. But all right. So that's I'm mad 10. That I missed off the list. You, you missed it. See, you were, you, yeah, you were absolutely. such, I, I won't get into your list. I'll, I'll, I'll leave everyone's <laughs> list. I'll leave everyone's list, uh, a private for, for, uh, you know, but, uh, I know what everyone voted for. But anyway, number, number nine, let's see if we, if we have a, a repeat of the, a, a famous 1981 moment that we had with the 1981 episode. Number nine is, Oh, let me, let me get the, uh, cover up here mm. it is signals by rush johan yes the, the rush album is at number nine um signals if i remember with the um with the rush special we did you did mention this is your favorite rush album correct correct okay yeah well, what's your thought on on this being number nine uh, my thought is that, um, uh, of course, you are. Most of you are are all wrong. Um, <laughs> that's obvious. Uh, it was not my number one that right. year because it was a hard year. But uh, um, actually, I'm quite disappointed. So. Uh, uh, I don't know what's wrong with you, but <laughs> I mean, one of the greatest albums of all time. So, now, uh, no, I don't have to say anything. I think you have to almost apologize to uh, the music world. So, what are you guys saying? <laughs> so I think let me, yeah. let me let me translate let me translate from Swedish to English here if I if I get this right if it's not Rush it's shit <laughs> paraphrasing well but it is it wasn't number one on his list though uh -huh. <laughs> so you owe yourself an apology Johan <laughs> it was a hard year. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, towards the, towards the top of this list, I, I do have to agree that it was hard to uh, differentiate some of these. Uh, I myself did not make up my mind until yesterday with some of these. So it was for me, it was a, a hard year. Absolutely. So for once anyone, I wasn't the last one with the list. What's that? I said for once I was the last one finishing the list. Um, yeah, I, I'm. Usually not the last person. Usually, you know, I, um, uh, I'm like halfway through, but uh, uh, there were several of these albums that I needed to go back and really listen to a bunch of times to decide between them. So that's why, you know, I took so long. But I had Gabe, actually. I saw Gabe mid midweek this week. He said, did you get your list in? I go, yeah, I did. He says, well, I'm running behind. He was stressed about it. I'm running behind on the list. So this was I, I, a big deal in New Jersey, at least in certain circles. 
Yeah. Okay. So, like, like I've told him in the past, um, it is it is more important for him to. Uh, of course, we're live. We're live doing this, and people are calling me on Skype. Um, anyway, as I told him, it's more important for him to focus on his uh, on his profession as opposed to doing this list. I appreciate all of you guys one hundred percent for doing this, and one hundred percent of the patrons voted on it. But it's not the end of the world if people can't do it because people have lives and and different things to attend to i mean he's um, he's got his hands full so i get it um let's see uh anyone else want to mention anything about rush before we move to number 8 yes I have to mention something again because I was switching between my phone and my computer and I have both on now. Okay. Uh, Signals is a fantastic album, but uh, and it, or in 1982, a lot of great albums came out, but why didn't you guys pick up that album as a top three and top or top four, I cannot understand. Uh, well, well, it was I, I. I have six of my albums still in the top eight, so I'm doing pretty well, and I don't have Rush in there. <laughs> I put but Rush I in my Danny. top ten. Okay. All the minors on the board. All of them. That's really well. I think so. How did Signals fare commercially? Because I'm, I, I don't know where the others were, but I'm that uh, that may be close it, to the top as far as as far as commercial the, success in the know. U.S. That's their biggest selling album. Necessarily just in '82, but um, in, in, in up until now. Yeah, so in the U.S., Signals is their biggest selling album of all time. Um, I I looked it up when we did the Rush special. I think the next album is like Exit Stage Left, or I forget what, or not that. Uh, Moving Pictures, I think, is the is the next one. But um, New World Man actually reached number one on the uh, on the singles chart, and and the album actually was the biggest. It was also the inception of the MTV era at the time. So you had videos off of the album on TV, so it made sense that it would sell a lot. Out of all the albums that everybody voted for, right? would this be uh, the biggest commercial success? No. No. No, there's, there's albums above this that have sold quite a bit more. Even the one I had? Yeah! Much to my chagrin. I'm saying that Blackout's number one. For albums sold, um, it, it's it's it's, it's, it's going to not in the UK. Well, <laughs> well, all right. Let's let's not jump ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> let's wait to see how the list shakes out, and we can address that at the end. But um, all right, the uh, my list probably sold most albums. What's that? The the one on your list? I think the, the, yeah, the one, one on my list. 
all, all right. I'll, 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 I'll give it away. So when we got to 20 and people asked who voted for this album, <laughs> oh, that wow. was out. <laughs> That's not nice. No, I'm just saying that there were people that asked and I said, look, I'm just happy that people are submitting lists to me. Um, I don't care what people voted for because there was a question of people voting for live albums, people voting for stuff that was maybe not uh, considered uh, hard rock or metal, but I appreciate what any, what anybody sends to me. Uh, so whatever it is, regardless, I'm going to, um, I'm going to list it. Um so yes, there's stuff that Steve uh, picked that was massively huge. The thing is with these lists is that the albums need to coincide with one another and have a lot of votes in order for it to to be ranked higher with within this. So the album that you're alluding to was about halfway through the list. Now it was a little higher. It obviously has has outsold a lot of things. Um, but within the hard rock and metal world, there's going to be albums that, um, that we're going to talk about that sold really well also. And maybe a lot lot of good music that came out that year, a lot across the, across the board, regardless of genre, there's a lot of good stuff that came out. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Steve. I cut you off. Oh, no, I, I just was just saying that. Okay. That uh, that's, I know it's not a metal album, so kind of cheating, but well, I I, I, have, I, t- I have no doubt that album sold the most. <laughs> yeah, and to coincide with that, we can dovetail that into number eight, "Diver Down" by uh, Van Halen, which some people love it, some people hate it. Um, some people are not keen with it because of the amount of covers on it. We, this is one of my trivia questions on Tuesday. Um, yeah, I know. The, <laughs> <laughs> did you get this one wrong? This Tuesday? Was, yeah, it was one where I was like, oh, that one. And I was like, <laughs> right after I pressed uh, the button, like, man. And well, you were, you were read- happy. You were happy fingers yeah. on Tuesday. You were, you were trying to beat oh, everyone yeah. to the punch. Um, yeah. So Diver Down negative Hell is a lonely place Well <laughs> yeah, Negative Hell we, we were talking about Negative numbers But everyone bounces back uh, on Trivia Tuesday So I'm no doubt in my mind That, uh, that you will be on top One of these weeks um, Diver Down was what Warner Brothers wanted Because of uh, fair warning They felt wasn't commercial enough And um, Uh from what I've read, the label handpicked some of these, and Van Halen were a covers band way back when. So it kind of one went with the other, and um, uh, quite a few people voted for this album. And like I said, some people love it, some people hate it. Um, anyone want to discuss Diver Down? Four out of the uh, four in a row there. Uh, where have all the good times gone? I keep saying that a lot lately now in my age. So relevant. And yeah, so it has cover songs in it, but the cover songs are done so well. 
it doesn't matter. There, it, for living in California, it's it's a near perfect album for that for these times. Yeah, you you can you can say that they definitely made these cover songs their own. Absolutely, because you listen to where where have all the good times gone over the years. I've said it to more than one person. Yeah, this is a real cool Kinks cover. What do you mean? This isn't an original? No, majority of the album isn't. What's next? Dancing in the Streets and Pretty Woman are original? No, those are covers as well. So, you know, um, I've I've always enjoyed this album personally. Uh, anyone else want to mention anything about Diver Down before we move on to number seven? I think it was pretty shocking the amount of airtime that it got and that they actually were allowed to go mainstream with it. Um, well, that's, uh, I think what Warner's wanted. And I mean, obviously with 1984, it really got them to what Warner's had been asking for since the late seventies. So how hard did they work on it? Was it something that they kind of, I don't want to say slapped together because the musicianship is, is always amazing with, 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 especially with Eddie Van Halen, but. Yeah, but Eddie hated it. Eddie hated that they dictated what they wanted out of the album and he couldn't do what he wanted with the album. So yeah. that, it, go ahead. Ted, Temple, Ted Templeman talks about this a lot, this album in his book. So if you haven't heard the audio or whichever, check it out. He goes into full detail on it and uh, go ahead. No, no, go, you go ahead. I've, I haven't read or, or heard the book. So if there's anything you want to add about it. No, just what was going on at the time of what the record company wanted and what, you know, everybody wanted from them and they were pushed to do it this way. And, and you know, the, the tale's been told, but I'm just saying for reference, if you want to know more, Ted Templeman's book is really good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and I think if I'm not mistaken, this is the first album that they did at 5150 studios. And that was like another thing that Eddie kind of, wanted it to be a special occasion and and he was forced into doing something as opposed to him being you know 100 original and with that being said you check out a song like um cathedrals which uh which is an instrumental and it still followed him innovating and just pulling something else out of his ass basically and making millions of guitarists wanting to figure out how to play it. It sold how many volume pedals <laughs> over the years. Um, and again, from eruption to Spanish fly to cathedrals, you know, it's just a small sample of how important Eddie was as a player, as an architect, you know, because you can look at the engineering side of things of everything that he did from amps to pickups to, to tremolo systems and so on and so forth. So uh, there's there's so many things that he added. But uh, anyway, number seven, we move back to the other side of the pond again. Except with Restless and Wild. This album is uh, credited to, uh, I, th I think if you look at... Um, Probably Motorhead was probably the first band to make a double bass style that would later be used in thrash metal. was probably the first band to do something um, 
to get drummers to go in that direction, but I think accepts Restless and Wild with songs like uh, Fast Like a Shark um, and the song Restless and Wild really pushed drummers into that direction to, you know, adding more of a double bass element to uh, to what they were doing. And I know much to the chagrin of, uh, Steve, you'll appreciate this, much to the chagrin of someone like a Carmine uh, piece. <laughs> or Carmine, uh, yeah. Um, there are other people out there that did innovate over the years. So um, anyone that uh, that voted for Restless and Wild that wants to discuss the album, well, Princess of the Dawn. It's one of my favorites of all time, but it's an also a perfect album. I haven't heard okay. from Brad in a while. <laughs> he's he's just hanging back and chilling out. Brad, I can't hear you. Oh, sorry. We're having a medical emergency here. Oh, you are? Okay. Seriously, yeah, yeah. Shelly's going to the hospital right now. But anyway, um, yeah, I can't go because I got I to gotta talk to you guys. <laughs> I got my priorities. <laughs> now, um yeah, I, I this is a, it's a great album. I I didn't I didn't vote for it because it's one that I didn't I didn't become an accept fan till later in life, and I can't say I've listened to it as much as I have the other albums that are in my top ten list. So that's why it didn't make my top ten. It's on my list, but it didn't make the top ten. And uh, yeah, I I love I love what those guys do. I mean the the riffs are just unbelievable. Um, I think Wolf is uh, he, he's he's one of the greatest riff writers that there is out there. He he can crank him out with the best of them, and I I I can't say that there's not one except album that doesn't have something good on it. I mean, the first couple of ones are kind of weird, but I still kind of appreciate some of the stuff on there. But once once they found their pace, um, you know, you talk about it with the double bass thing. I think uh, the album before this Breaker. Mm-hmm. I think that that was actually uh, even before this, uh, just not quite as fast as fast as a shark. Right. Yeah, uh, it's a great album, great sounding album. Um, so there you go. Uh, yeah, I'm all in. Whoever whoever uh, voted for this, you got good taste. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's the one thing with this album also, is that except didn't get to the U.S. until. Uh, Balls to the Walls tour, which is where they opened up for Kiss on the Lick It Up tour. So we can't have an obscure story about Brad seeing them in some type of uh, hole in the wall someplace in in California, the club that no longer exists. So uh, that's true. I saw I saw Udo before I ever saw Accept. Oh I've wow! Only seen, I only saw Accept for the first time last year. There you go. Um, when you know, I think I've told you that story at M3. Yeah, yeah. yeah Shelly, just like now, she got up and walked away uh, saying, yeah, I'm going to go for a walk while these guys play. And then she came back after about three songs and she said, God, this is really good. I said, yeah, there you go. There you go. You got to you, you got to listen to it, man. You can't deny how good their music is. Their, their songs are really, really good. And, yeah. 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 I, I hope that uh, there's nothing serious with your wife. And I hope that. uh She's fine. Oh, he's probably back on a call. Brad is with us tonight and he's saving the world on the poison hotline out there in Utah. So 
Um, anyway, let's move on to number six. It is an album that had two different names. Speak of the Devil, um, almost everywhere else in the world. And I think in the UK is the only place where it was called uh, Talk to the Devil. Is, is that correct, Jeremy? Is that the title in the UK? I don't remember it being called Talk of the Devil, to be honest. I, I remember Speak of the Devil, as you mentioned it there, but maybe yeah. it's because I've got used to the name later on and I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, Anthony's nodding at the same time, so it seems like he's, he's agreeing with you. I read that online, that when it was released in the US, it was released in the UK under a different name, Right. Because for whatever reason, the label thought that there were going to be issues or something pertaining to the name. So they went with something else. But based on what you're telling me, because I couldn't even find evidence of an album cover of, yeah. of anything yeah. different. So I, I'm guessing that they just decided and it was probably cheaper to just print up one uh, one cover, one set of, uh, you know, tags for the cassettes and the uh and, and the vinyl there mm. um, who who wants to talk about speak of the devil anyone that uh Dan do you have your hand up there no i didn't put live albums in my top 10 okay yeah i did, i i did not either although i know that some people did and that's fine like i said i'm not going to be picky about what people submitted um, I actually went back and listened to this album last night. Uh, the, the biggest deal for me always for this album was Brad Gillis's playing, uh, because it was so different to obviously what I'd heard with the Sabbath songs, but especially, I mean, MTV played the Paranoid video off of this all the time because they had a, um, an MTV concert special where they played a lot, where they would play this all the time. And, it, and they actually released a VHS that has a completely different track listing and running order than what MTV played because the MTV concert was closer to the album with just Sabbath covers, if I remember correctly. But hearing Brad Gillis play the solo to Paranoid and doing what I was um, uh, told by the uh, one guitar teacher that I had, he told me that in Spanish what he does is called gargling on the guitar. I said, gargling? That's weird. He goes, yeah, the, the, yeah, Brad's doing it. What he does with the, uh, with the whammy bar, the way that he was hitting it, was very innovative because he was the first person that I recall hear, do, hearing doing that and he's credited for that so um his playing was was monstrous on that then he went back to night ranger which is also on the list so um that night ranger album is did sharon chase about no his his original agreement was that he would step in and help them with the um with the record commitments because there, they actually had another guitarist before him. They had Bernie Torme, who had played with Ian Gillen, filled in for like three weeks, and then Bernie and Ozzy just couldn't get along, and he said, "All right, I'm done." And he didn't need to play with Ozzy; he was a known commodity. 
So, um, so they brought Brad Gillis in. Night Ranger was coming up the ranks in California, and he agreed to do it so long as he could dovetail it into, um, you know, his band getting publicity out of it. So they had a limited amount of dates. They fulfilled it. They recorded the live album, which was done in response to Black Sabbath doing a live evil, which this album was supposed to be recorded originally with Randy Rhodes. He hated the idea of just doing a Sabbath album, but in the end he agreed supposedly right before he died. At least that's what Rudy Sarzo says in his book um, that, you know, a few weeks before he died, he agreed to doing, to doing this album and possibly doing another studio album after. But unfortunately, you know, uh, this month, I think it was 40 years ago. He was when the accident happened actually yesterday. Uh, no, actually for me yesterday, for, for everyone who's in the U S it was March 25th, 82. So, um, anyone else want to talk about, uh, or anyone else want to speak about speak of the devil? All right. Number five. Mr. Hoker, where did you go? It is Twisted Sister with Under the Blade. This the, the, this was uh, when the spotlight was to shine on, uh, on Steve here. Um, let's see if we can get him back on here. Anyone else? want to uh, mention anything about this Jeremy before when we were talking about Skid Row you mentioned uh, seeing Twisted Sister live um, yeah. at a festival a few years back yeah but I also remember Twisted Sister being on top of the pops when I was younger they did I Am I Me and they you know they burst onto the scene they were quite a surprise a shock band really to see live on a Thursday evening in the UK. And um, I sort of followed them a little bit after that, but they were never, they sort of, they were never a massive band in the UK really. So they would never sort of feature in a UK person's sort of top 10, I don't think, um, over other bands. Um, so not quite as popular. But looking back on them and, and listening to the stuff now, uh, yeah, really enjoy it. And I think that's a that's a good album. Yeah, th this is uh, one of those albums where, again, when going back and listening to it, originally going in, I was like, yeah, I think this is my least favorite Twisted Sister album of the of the first three. And then I started listening to it, and I was like, wow, you know, no, I, I really like this song. I really like this other song. And I came up again with like five or six songs off of this album mm -hmm. that, that to me are, are memorable that, that I like. They're some songs off of here that have simple riffs, simple choruses, but again, the melodies in those choruses get get um, get stuck in your head, and that's what makes makes the album good, in my opinion. You know, uh, Twisted Sister, I think, took a long time to make it everywhere. You know, the UK happened to be the first place that, even though you're saying that a lot of people uh, kind of didn't uh, wouldn't have them on their list, but it that was the first place where they kind of made it. You know, it was the first place where they kind of got some sort of airplay. Um, mm. Or at least you're saying they were on top of the pops. They were nowhere yeah. near TV in the States up until uh, Stay Hungry came out. 
So, and, and I don't know, uh, I have to look back. I, I don't remember if uh, them in Pee-wee's Big Adventure was first or, or whether the album came out first. But uh, definitely a band that, you know, years later, thanks to MTV is, is, is remembered, you know, for that, for that era, especially in the U S um, yeah. And, and I mean, they have the, uh, live at Hammersmith show, um, where they open up with, uh, what you don't know sure can hurt you. Um, and that's directly from, from that, uh, tour in, in England, actually that entire album, I think, the majority of it is there. And then it's not top of the pops, but there's another TV appearance in the UK that became famous because D wiped off all his makeup because he said that, that people weren't uh, paying attention to him. Um, Anthony uh, is mentioning that uh, they were on a lot in Ireland um, on, on TV so I guess, you know, again, back then things were much more regionalized as well. So I guess, you know, because radio wasn't, at least in the States, radio became a big conglomerate. So you could have a band that was big in Columbus, Ohio, that somebody in, uh, you know, Boston had never heard of, you know. So I'm assuming that that's um, what could have happened there. Um Oh, okay. Anthony is saying that they were on the tube. The tube is the name of, of the show that they were on. Okay. Oh, yeah. I remember the tube. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Jeremy, you weren't paying attention. <laughs> um, is that kind of like uh, 120 minutes that we had here? Um, no. I'm, I'm assuming that, well, you remember here in, in, in oh, I'm assuming that it was like this in Spain. Uh, they would have your like music shows where once a week, you know, every Friday or whatever, they would have whoever was popular in the charts that week. And every now and then, like once, uh, once in a while, you'd see outside bands coming in. Okay. So Anthony's saying a live show with crazy things and bands. Okay. Yeah, it was when a good say, show. I remember that. When Friday, you guys nights say- with, Friday nights with Jules Holland and some, uh, Oh, who else was presenting it? Um, what was her name? She went out with the uh, NXS guy. She was married to him. Um, oh, Anthony, uh, Anthony, I remember. She was yeah. married to Bob Gelda. Holly Yates. Yeah. Holly Yates, that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that was Jules Holland before Squeeze or after Squeeze? That would be after Squeeze, yeah, because he was in the late seventies, wasn't he? With Squeeze, I think. Okay. Yeah, I remember having the Cool for Cat single on pink vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hopefully, you still have it. Uh, no, I don't. Unfortunately, no. I don't know what happened to it. I probably ripped it up when I got into metal. I probably just snapped it in the garden when I was fifteen. Oh boy. <laughs> You have, you you have any to, siblings that might have taken it, adopted it uh, to their collection? No, I, do, I honestly don't know what happened to it. I should I should have kept it, shouldn't I? <laughs> that was uh, you showing your metal cred there. Mm. <laughs> um. Anyway, moving on here. Number four. 
And this could be my Johan moment. <laughs> Kiss with creatures of the night. Um, no, no surprise. I don't think to anyone, at least on as far as who I was going to vote number one on my list. Uh, this is my all time favorite album by any band. Um, it's one of those things where I've always talked about how emotional connection with music um, and certain time periods in your life where you connect with certain albums that help you through certain times and certain things. Um, for me, uh, Creatures of the Night was a big deal when it came out um, because of a, a death in the family at that time. And, you know, it was gifted to me by my grandmother. And it's an album that whose lyrics, just the song Creatures of the Night, the lyrics from the first time I heard it spoke to me. Um, so yeah, so yes, do I agree that there are other albums that people would probably say you're technically better, even within the Kiss catalog? Sure, but this is the album that speaks the most to me and has that connection with me. So that's why I voted it my number one, but it is number four on this list. And hey, it is what it is. Um, anyone else want to uh, mention anything? about creatures much much to my chagrin it made it up high on my list much and much much to your chagrin why because <laughs> i never would have voted for it i always said kiss died at dynasty and then okay. i actually took a, took a cognizant look at you know what songs were there and i'm oh crap yeah that is a good okay crap this other one is good so there was a ton of good songs that came out of that that album and it had to for me go up high um on the on the list i mean creatures of the night night uh war machine rock and roll hell love it loud i mean there, there's 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 a lot of um a lot of good songs on, on the album and and uh, obviously i i really back then like i said after after dynasty the, i, I kind of stopped <laughs> stopped listening and 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 just um but i didn't want to be pig-headed and i did you know look and see what what songs were on there and i i believe that uh it, it warranted being being high on the list not because of you but just you know well that that's that what i was gonna ask been, that might have been might have had something to do with it but no no, well, no in all in all sincerity the the songs actually brought it to the top that, that's that's why i think it may have been like an an mk ultra effect there where you'd heard yeah, it so did, much did you, fall, did, you fall, did you fall out of your chair when you saw the, the list and where that was placed absolutely i said what what the hell <laughs> what the hell is going on here i said he's, head or something he's, he's doing me a favor or something you know <laughs> what's this i didn't grease him um yeah so so cool so yeah i get it i love the album and Hey, not for everyone. I, I do want to mention that I just popped over into the chat and I do see that Jose and Andy have been in the chat uh, mentioning their comments throughout the show. And I do apologize for not um, seeing that sooner when we do this big setup with all the other patrons. It's hard to to see the chat, whereas I usually have the chat going on the right hand side there. But uh, anyway, so um, the final three. And before Fireside, on the Fireside pre-show, 
I'd asked uh, Johan, I asked Jeremy, and I asked Brad what they thought that their the top three were. So let's see how close this is to what they mentioned. And actually, Steve on uh, on Facebook actually asked me uh, similar. But uh, anyway, so let's go with number three here. Judas Priest screaming for vengeance. Mm-hmm. This was obviously the albums that made it towards the top here. There's Jeremy flashing the uh, reissue from a few years ago. Um, were voted by a lot of people. You know, some people ask why um, one album maybe was lower, one album, you know, why it, why certain things didn't rank higher. These top three albums were voted by the majority of people somewhere on their list. So that's why they're, you guys will see what one, what, uh, obviously you've seen three, but you'll see what, Two and one will be shortly. Um, so, uh, Jeremy, you flashed the album. So, Screaming for Vengeance, your thoughts? Yeah, a couple of things about this album. First of all, it's got the very best track that is on any heavy metal album ever. And it is, <laughs> well, it's it's basically two merged into one. I've told you about this before. And as Johan would say, I am right and you are wrong. The Hellion <laughs> Electric Eye can be played until you die and i will play it every day for the rest of my life because it is it's unbelievable it is just the best song that i've ever heard um and then of course then you've got the rest of the album which is also almost as good <laughs> so it's it's fantastic and the other thing that i would say as well is that um i don't know if you're aware of this but in um, anthony will be aware of this but in the uk at the time we were we were at war with argentina in 1982 because right. there was the falcons crisis and so we had all this going on um we were quite worried our fathers would go might go get cons- conscripted to go to war uh, it only lasted a couple of months but we had all this great heavy metal going on in the background that kept our minds sane while we were at war. So um, that's all I've got to say about Judas Priest. It is one of the greatest albums of all time, Screaming for Vengeance. I can't let that. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you bring that up because when I was trying to decide what album would go where on my list, and I've seen them play the Hellion, well, they never play the Hellion live. They always have that recorded, but they do mm. electric eye live. That's one of these songs where depending when, when you're listening to it, it just gives you goosebumps, you know, it, and it just gives you that adrenaline rush, you know, um, just from, from that, the, the opening of the song there. So it's definitely a, a, a classic uh, classic song. Uh, anyone else want to discuss uh, "Screaming for Vengeance"? Yeah, yeah, I, I will. Um, yeah, uh, I'll uh, I'll raise Jeremy one song. I'll I'll say that uh, riding riding on the wind. Uh, you kind of got to you kind of got to run that in there after Electric Eye, the the, mm. the drum intro and just the dun, dun, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I, I love this album. Um, it, it was number one on my list. 
And I only picked it. I, like I said, the first, those three albums, all of them were number one for me. The only reason that made this number one on my list is because I've listened to it so much more than the other albums. And plus I've bought it so many times like Jeremy, I have the recent uh, reissue of it as well. And I, I love the, the, the DVD on there. Um, you know, the us festival performance. I, I think they were actually brilliant on mm. that us festival. And so, yeah, that, that was priest at their best. Yeah. You can take off the live, stop playing living after midnight, stop playing yada, yada. You can always put Hellion and electric eye in and I won't get, I don't get tired of it. You might as well just play mm. it again, guys. Cause it's that good. <laughs> yeah, they're then, playing it now. I, yeah, they are. That, that, that's what yeah, I'm saying. But get rid of well, living after midnight. Stop it. Mm. Stop with breaking the law. Stop it already. But <laughs> and then <laughs> add in add in Devil's Child. Uh, amazing. Another yeah. big comment. I could stop here in that live. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they feel like they have to play it. It's their paranoid. Uh, the, I think what they did the, on the current tour, they played it like the third song. And I kind of like that. I, I like that they uh, got it over with rather than make it. And plus, they didn't do a big sing along, you know, make a make it into an eight minute song. They just played the song proper. Eight. And it, <laughs> yeah, it was. I enjoyed it much more like that. So, eight, you're lucky. I I got a thirteen. I got a thirteen minute rendition of uh, of uh, of you just said it. Now I'm thinking of some heads are gonna roll for some reason, which is. <laughs> No, some heads are going to roll us on the next album. Um, you've got another thing coming. Yeah, it was 13 minutes long. Um, and it was like at the end of the night where we had driven three hours to the show. We had seen Testament Megadeth before that. And I'm thinking, we've got another thing coming. I, I hope we're, we've got the exit signs heading towards us soon because, I mean, it was it was taking forever for them to, uh, to wrap it up. But, yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, unfortunately... It makes you think because you look at the shows from these tours. It was the Us Festival, uh, you guys are saying, with, with that bonus DVD. How many of these bands, when they put out, when they put out Screaming for Vengeance, Defenders of the Faith, they were playing four and five songs off of these albums live. So it gave you a reason to want to see the tour. It gave you a reason to want to buy the album. And this whole argument that, oh, nobody wants to hear the new stuff anymore. No, you've gone away from playing new stuff and just doing greatest hits. So, of course, you're just, you know, you're you're gearing it towards the, the casual fan that just wants to hear the, the, the three songs that they hear on the radio. And that's it. When, when you go to a show and the third song in, people are saying or chanting for living after midnight already. You realize that you're not in there with a diehard crowd. So. Podcast yeah, sells albums, and if you don't have Screaming for Vengeance with the bonus DVD of the US Festival, get it because it's good. If you like Priest, it's a great show. Go ahead, Brad. Oh, no. I was going to say, you probably have this one, too. I think it's the met Metallology. I'm probably right. putting too many syllables in there, where they've got the uh, MTV concert uh, from the same from this tour. Mm -hmm. It was filmed in Memphis. That when they when they hit the stage and uh, Glenn Tipton playing the lead there in Electric Eye, it is it's like a spiritual experience, man. He's just like, oh, 
just nailing it. Oh, killing it. And Rob's hanging from the, the light uh, trusses singing. And uh, yeah, it, yeah, that that's the priest at its best right there. So if you can, I don't, I don't, I haven't looked to see if that's on YouTube anywhere, but if it is, if you haven't seen that, you need to, to find it. It's uh priest in Memphis. Uh, it was uh, broadcast on MTV and it's, it, it's just fantastic. So this, I, this to me is the peak of the band. Thank you. That's the one I was looking for when I found ran across Oz Festival again. I'm getting, <laughs> getting that back out. I'm going to have a good weekend. Thanks. There you go. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's why we do this folks to share, you know, musical thoughts, share, you know, ideas. And I wrote it down. There you go. You know, Take there's, notes. there's so many, there's so many bands and so many albums that are out there that sometimes we often forget about stuff that we had checked out in the past. And maybe you realize when you put one of these lists together, you know, damn, you know, I forgot about this album. So you go back and you check it out and start listening to it again. So awesome. Number two. It is Scorpions with Blackout. I have to say that I kept going back and forth between Screaming for Vengeance and Blackout. I didn't know which one of these I was going to rank higher. And I literally had to write two lists down with my favorite songs off of each and figure out which album had more tracks that I was into. And that's what it came down to. Scorpions just slightly for me beat out Screaming for Vengeance. I love Blackout. It is just such a great album. And it's one of these things where Love at First Thing was just so huge that for, again, the casual fan doesn't know how great Blackout was because the other album was just so much more massive than this one was. Um, at least in 2022, I should say, because I think back when a lot of these albums were coming out, people were going back and checking out the, uh, the catalogs, but, um, uh, Johan, this was your number one Scorpions blackout. Um, what, what do you have to say about the album? Uh, this was the first uh, Scorpions album that I heard. Um, uh, the songs, you know, Blackout, No One Like You, Arizona, When the Smoke Is Going Down, Can't Live Without You, Give Me All I Need, Dynamite, Shine White. Uh, I left out some songs. Uh, this is uh, great. <laughs> this is a really, really good album. Uh, and uh, this is for me. This is uh, better than the number one album because just it means more to me. This is uh, I don't know. I I can't I can't say it. It's it's my. It's, What's your favorite song, Johan? And where does where did the memories take you? Good question. Uh, first of all, when I was young, I liked the riff in Blackout. Uh, and then I was, as you are, when you are a young teenager, I, I was uh, probably in love with someone. 
and songs like No One Like You and When the Smoke Is Going Down were, uh, you know, they were speaking to me back then. Uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, this, this was an album that spoke to me as a young teenager more than the number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I mean, Scorpions are still playing a lot of these songs now live. Uh, so uh, I guess they are quite happy with this album as well. Uh, yeah, let's stop there. I, I, I really want to hear what you guys think of the album and the songs. Yeah, uh, for me, honestly, this was my introduction to the band as well. No one like you was the first thing I ever heard from them. And just hearing that, you know, the, the intro with the lead, with the lead right off the bat, was just so different to me to anything that I had heard at the time. You know, obviously if you go back and you want to do revisionist history and say, well, you know, thin Lizzy was doing this, you know, 10 years before they were Uh, sure. I get it. But as a, as a young kid that, had started hearing Scorpions on the radio and saw the video on MTV. And again, started, I talked about this during the Firestone show, started realizing, oh, wow, they're making heavy metal music in places that it, that aren't the US and the UK. It was such an eye opening thing. And it was just so great. It, you know, it just pulled me towards them. Um, Plus who the else? Masochistic album cover really kind of provided some shock value there. No, absolutely. <laughs> Countless tours where uh, Rudolph is is out on stage with the forks in his eyes. So, and and I can say that that was the one thing I didn't see him wearing when I saw them at the airport. So, there you mm-hmm. go. Um, who else wants to mention something about Scorpions? Yeah, I'll just say that, um, you know, when you get lists of uh, Scorpions, um, their best albums, and there's a lot of lists out there on the internet, it's always number one. I mean, I don't think I've seen a list where it's not the, the, the top album. So it tell, that tells you something. And I would just say that you could take any song off this album and put it on another album, and it would improve the other album. So, you know, there isn't any filler song on this on this album. So it's just brilliant. I mean, you know, Johan's just listed all the songs and they're just great. I can listen to every yeah. single song on this. And I still sing Blackout in the Shower, even today, in, in a German accent. I still do. And I'm, and I'm not making that uh-huh. up. I actually do sing it in the shower. <laughs> do, do, do you wish <laughs> do, do you... Uh... Do you say California or something? Yeah, like yeah, that? I do it in a German. I do it in a German accent. I really had a black out, black out, and I sing it. You ask my wife. I actually do sing it even to this day. It's that. It's that good. It's 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 ingrained on my memory because you know I, w- I was uh, collecting albums in that year, and I remember going around to a friend's house, and he had the album, and he played it to me, and he played that first track, and as soon as I heard it, I thought I've got to buy this. And went out and bought it, and and um, you know it was one of the greatest albums of that year, and still is. Yeah, that that, that reminds me. Uh, one of my fondest talking metal moments was uh, Metal Mike 
when he was on the show at one point and he talked about how Rudolph came out with Halford's band and did the song Blackout, which ended up on the uh, Rock and Rio live album that they put out. And Metal Mike is talking about how they were going to rehearse the, the song and how they didn't have time to do it. And that Rudolph just says to him, okay, don't worry about it. You know, I'm just going to wave my arm like this in a circle and I'm going to do this jump and I'm going to do this. And, and when I do that, you're going to hit the opening chord. And, we're, and I was listening to it, just laughing my ass off thinking where I can picture Rudolph doing all this stuff and thinking he should be, you know, trying to figure out how the song's going to go with the rest of the people. And he's like, Fuck it. You know, I'm just going to I'm Rudolph. This is what Rudolph does. And this is what I'm known for. So this is how we're going to intro this song, you know, in Brazil, in front of 120,000 people at, you know, uh, Maracanã Stadium there. So just hearing that story, I mean, has always been one of my favorites. So with you saying that, uh, that came back to mind. So thank you, Jeremy. Um, So, Jeremy, do you at least warm up whistling Gorky Park in the shower first for the (laughs) For the value of the echo in the shower? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, go, I, I just go straight into blackout. There we go. Okay. No, no he's not He's not messing around. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I realized I missed a day. And I'm straight into chords it. First. I warm up the vocal cords first a little bit. And then I'll Celine Dion. And then I can't just go right into it. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Rudolph is a monster on stage. So someone like his brother, he has his own stage move where you know he moves back and forth. I, how he came up yeah. with that, I don't know if anybody's ever asked him that. And but that's him. That's what he does. You can't stop. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 I love watching him live. He's great. He's the oldest one in the band still, and he still moves around the most. I mean, it's in it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> We're almost there, Dan. Um <laughs> <laughs> Brad, any any stories about because you've seen Scorpion several times? Did you get to see them all the way back on Blackout by any chance? No, I didn't. I was in a, a non-concert going part of my life, uh, so I I missed them on this tour. The first time I saw them was Love at First Sting. Okay. So I wish I would have seen them. I, I wish I would have seen them every time they've come to America, but it just didn't work out for me. Yeah. And, uh, but every time I have seen them, it's been good. I haven't seen them do a bad show. Awesome. Um, cool. So let's move on to number one. <laughs> I could point over my shoulder as well, although the mic is uh, hiding it. But Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. Not sure if this was a surprise to anyone. Um, when we talk about my brother brought up album sales before. Jeremy, you were saying that you think that Blackout is sold more than Number of the Beast. I'm not sure. I'm not sure on the sales. Uh, no, I would think that Number of the Beast must have sold more in in the UK. It must have. Um, it, it was certainly. Yeah, I'm thinking worldwide, it's probably that as well. People Uh, have a good taste then. Good. I'm glad it's number one. That's what I want to say it is, even if it's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, since you started started in on it, Dan, what what are some of your uh, 
earliest recollections of this album? It wasn't my first. My first one was Peace of Mind, and then I went backwards, although I probably heard Number of the Beast, and it was wicked scary because I was young and it was on the radio, and ooh, watch out. But Bob Nalbandian, the great Bob, who we should have on the show again, he would do his podcast, and he would use Invader a lot of time to intro. I right. would get excited right there. I'm, I'm in, Bob. Let's go. Yeah, Bob. Bob is great. Bob is. I always say this. There's no reason why I should know Bob or that he should know me or, or talk to me behind the scenes. The guy's a legend. So, yeah, Brad's been around California shows. You've probably run into Bob and haven't even seen him. I met him. He couldn't have been, and he was so nice to me. And you know, I know he's he's just one of us too. But I put him on a pedestal. So, uh, but we're talking yeah. about the album. 22 Acacia Avenue is one of my favorites. It's not, it, to me, that's a deep cut mm-hmm. because, you know, and probably my least favorite is, is Run to the Hills because it's so often played. Priest has their, you know, Breaking the What song they could remove. Maiden can get rid of Run to the Hills. I'm good. I've seen it enough times. But you put uh, Number of the Beast in there. I'm right there. I'm going for it. It's so good. And then, of course, they still have the last song on the albums, Hallowed Be Thy Name, yet it's always, nearly always, uh, in the set list. It's great. Do you think yeah. we feel this way about a lot of songs that may be top contenders, but back in the day, radio was incessant on playing it and just played it and played it and played it ad nauseum that we just hate some of those songs, even though they're amazing songs? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And that's to me, that's what I was going to mention off of what Dan is saying. Out of the um, first few Maiden albums, this is probably one of my least played because similar to what he mentioned, Peace of Mind was the first thing I got, followed by Live After Death. So a lot of these songs I got to hear on Live After Death. Uh, you know, So I preferred some of, some of those versions instead. Um, but yeah, you know, Run to the Hills was for years the only Iron Maiden song that was ever played on US radio. Then, you know, hey, Halloween comes around. Oh, we can play Number of the Beast today for Halloween. And it's like, seriously, they've got such a great catalog that you're only focusing in on two songs. But um, yeah, 100% there. And of course, with, with young kids who love melodies and choruses, I realized when I listened back to this album, that uh, over the last few years, my kids have listened to Run to the Hills over 200 times uh, because that's the count in my Apple Music. Uh, so, um, yeah, so <laughs> I'm I'm well beyond uh, uh, being burnt out on the song. But yes. Um, Johan, what do you want to say about uh, Number of the Beast? You already mentioned that you feel that Blackout is better than this album, but what what do you feel about number of the beast as a whole, as an album? Uh, sure. One of Maiden's best albums, uh, to me, it's like you said, peace of mind is my go-to album with Maiden, but, um, this one is, uh, it's good, but I don't, none of my biggest Maiden, um, favorites are on it. Uh, I like more, uh, I can say that uh, Number of the Beast was number one that came out with Bruce, but Peace of Mind was better. Power Slave was mm, 
half good, and then somewhere in time, who I love, and seven son of a seven son is 10 out of 10. So uh, I, perhaps I have a different point of view there because um, I don't know is, if it's, it's, if it's, it's, it's my age or uh, this album is really good, but not the best 80s album by Maiden. So, Johan, how much of how much of that is you and your mind voting in 1982 versus voting today? Well, in 1982, I was 10, uh, <laughs> so I didn't run to the hills. Were <laughs> huge to me back then, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it's just, uh, I really can't say, it's some, something about the songs. that They were not Maiden uh, as uh, Maiden is to me. Maiden to me is, they began really in peace of mind. That's when they found mm. uh, something that they stayed to. And I guess my, my question about 1982 being synonymous with our youth, uh, more so than, I mean, I, I'm a little older than you, and, and um, you know, so 82 is, you know, has probably a little more, the year has a little more significance to me uh, because I was a little older, older than to you. But I guess the question was, you know, your youth versus today. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know what I don't really understand the question because I'm Swedish. So sorry, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, yeah, you know my answer. So it's a good album, not the best, but a really good album. And can I say uh, 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 one thing? Hallowed be thy name. I have seen Maiden at least fifteen times now. And that's not the song that I, I, I really want them to stop playing Halloween, Halloween by the name or Run to the Hills uh, <laughs> and Lammer of the Beast. Yeah, I like the deeper cuts. Mm. Yeah. Uh, sorry to be, uh, uh, to be <laughs> a downer, but... No, yeah. I, th I, th I think that's the opinion for, for a lot of Maiden fans. We've we've heard and seen those songs live so many times that they've got so many other songs that I think a lot of people would prefer to see them to see them play. And the funny thing is with Bruce's comments about their their concerts and things like that, where, you know, we're not going to just give you a hit show, but yet they always play certain songs, you know, so that's not always entirely true. Um, while Johan was talking, I did remember that in 83, I was actually given a, a compilation. I've mentioned this a bunch of times on the show. Uh, the compilation was called Masters of Metal. Uh, someone said, if, if you invite me to your birthday, I'll make sure to buy you a really cool album. I'm like, okay. And the compilation had Run to the Hills. So technically... Run to the Hills, the first thing I ever heard from Maiden. And the last thing that I do want to mention about the album, um, Clive Burr, growing up as, you know, as a drummer, um, 
his playing was very special. Not to say that Nico's playing isn't great, but Clive had a specific feel to his playing, which is, which is completely different. And Anthony Mackey is saying amazing Burr. Absolutely. Just listen to the prisoner. I remember listening to the, to the prisoner for the first time. It was on a, a cassette that, that somebody gave me and or that someone had let me borrow. And I had no idea it was Iron Maiden until I heard Bruce singing. But just hearing the intro to the, the TV show, The Prisoner, and then hearing Clive just go into it. If you hear Nico play that song live, he doesn't play it the same because he's not the same style drummer as uh, Clive is. That's no knock on Nico, but it's just, it's missing something special to it with the way that Clive would play the double bass or not the double bass. I'm sorry. He would play triplets on the, on the bass drum with a single pedal, a certain way, which Nico ends up playing um, between the bass drum and between his floor tom. So it doesn't sound the same. Um, that's just me being nitpicky, but um, yeah, I loved Clive's playing. And to me, it's always a highlight of, uh, of the album killers and the album, Number of the Beast. It's a shame that he didn't um, he didn't play on more albums by them, um, but it is what it is, you know. Again, Nico's no slouch. Just listen to uh, the intro to Where Eagles Dare with Peace of Mind. So uh, there you go. Um, any other um, Anthony? I know that I've only been reading your your messages because you need to be quiet. So. Uh, if there is anything you want to mention before we sign off, you're more than welcome to do so. But so far I've just kept, you know, things as, as is because I figured that's what you wanted. So, all right. Excellent. <laughs> Anthony's got the, the, everyone at home sleeping. So, uh, so we're good with, uh, with me narrating his comments. Awesome. Um, Let's see. Jeremy, did you mention anything about this album yet? No. Um, I wanted to mention one thing about it in that at the time I was very disappointed when Bruce left uh, Samson to go to Iron Maiden because right. at the time I really liked Samson and I liked his voice in Samson. And I wasn't so keen on um, the second album by Maiden with Deano. Um, and Deano was not my favorite vocalist at the time so Maiden was you know I knew Maiden were good and I liked a lot of the songs but I was a bit you know disappointed that he was leaving Samson to go to this to I Maiden but when I heard the album and everyone you know all my friends at the same time we all bought this album and it was amazing but the reason why we bought the album as well I think Metal Dan had mentioned this earlier on you can buy an album because there's maybe two or three tracks on it maybe you know sometimes even just one or two and the rest of the album doesn't have to be absolutely fantastic but the, I think the singles really stood out for me at the time and I bought Run to the Hills on a on a 12 inch single picture disc which I've still got um, and then, of course, Number of the Beast was also a single. And they were massive in the UK, those singles in the charts. And, and they drove the album up um, and the album became a, a massive hit as well. Um, but I think a lot of it's down to the production as well. And Martin Birch um, doing the production on the album um, really gave it that sound. 
but it, it really kick-started uh, Maiden off in a different direction as well, didn't it? Because you know they were they were a different band under under Diano, and then they changed and, and became a different sound again under um, uh, with Bruce. Mm-hmm. Jeremy driving a, a a dagger through my heart, saying that Killers wasn't good. But <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll I'll have to survive. Uh, I know I know you like that. <laughs> Anthony saying that he has run to the hills on seven inches. Well, I have that single on both cassette and CD. I have the CD from uh, when they did the reissues in the early nineties um, where they redid all of the singles up to seventh son uh, where they were double vinyls that they were releasing at the time. I actually have sanctuary and women in uniform on vinyl from that um and then years later i ended up thanks to ebay i ended up getting the entire collection on uh, on cd but um one thing that um that hey i was just gonna name drop steve hoker for a second um one, one thing one thing that I that we've mentioned in the past was going to sound the rama because they would have the maiden import cassette singles so they were i mean the cassette cost i don't know i think it was like ten dollars thirteen dollars back then which was unheard of for a cassette because they were seven nine dollars but it was an import and we were huge maiden fans and we could only each afford like one of them so we uh you know i had i had um Number of the Beast. Uh, someone else had uh, Two Minutes to Midnight. Someone else had uh, um, Aces High. You know, we we all had the single split up between each of us, and of course, we'd copy them for one another so we could all have the uh, the, the the songs. But yeah, it was it was uh, it was it was a big deal to us, you know, to, to see all that stuff. Which for you guys, it was no big deal because you know they were trying to get in the uh, in the charts, but in mm. the states. The you know hard rock and metal albums having singles unless you were Aerosmith for example it was it was unheard of so to us yeah. it was you know it was yeah. awesome it was something to get yeah the other thing about Maiden um, the cassettes you go over to look at the posters sorry Jeremy didn't mean to no go on carry on carry on <laughs> no the, the the usual stop at uh, at the record store was looking for <clears throat> through your uh, collection of favorite bands and then going to the uh, posters yeah well maiden had the black black light posters you know it was you know the cover of number of the beast and 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 other things where i remember spencer's and the the record stores had them where they were those fuzzy posters basically so that when you put a black light under them they looked you know it made the the lights uh stand out or the the color stand out i mean if you think about it if you think about it maiden followed the sort of gene simmons code book for being famous i mean they had everything they had the the logo they had eddie they had um they played live um you know i mean we had uh, i mentioned top of the pops but i think they were the only band that i remember in that year playing live on top of the pops all the bands would would lip sync, but they would they would come on. They said, "No, no, we're gonna we're gonna play live. We don't care how it sounds, but we'll play live." Um, and that's how they became a massive band, really. 
is it safe to is it safe to say that they are the patch or t-shirt that was most sewed on to the back of denim jackets mm. <laughs> <laughs> yep i think so. they'd be up there you know yeah if they are yeah. uh, i will say that when they played um the shows here in spain they always they were always lip syncing though in top of the pops they stood their ground but once they they've they have a, a year-end show here where they show you um like recaps of bands playing over the years. And they always show Maiden is like the token metal band that gets shown. And, uh, and every year that they show them, they're, they're lip syncing. They had one uh, last year where they showed them doing, I think it was flight of Icarus, but Mm. yeah. So, um, but regardless, cool. Anyway, Steve, I believe this was uh, your favorite Maiden album. When we did the Maiden special, I Mm -hmm. think this is the one that you talked about. So, um, again, refresh us on your, your memory of, uh, number of the beast. Um, well, speaking of the poster earlier, my biggest memory is probably my brother having the number of the beast, the blacket poster in his room. Right. Um, yeah, but, uh, I'm sorry. I had to doubt for a little bit. Um, no, that's cool. What number was, what numbers? This is number one. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> well, you, you, sure. I, I thought you were alluding to the fact that Twisted I Sister would be number one. No, I knew that would happen with uh, with this list. It was five, though. Oh, all right. I don't have to go on Johan and everyone. <laughs> You're... That, that's fair. <laughs> number five is fair. <laughs> Um, oh, Brad saving the world over there. I see that he's on the phone. So, um, we, we, we will let him wa- continue to walk people off the ledge. Um, let's see here. Uh, Chris Sinzak chimed in a few minutes ago, 1982 tank fifth hound of Hades rules. Just saying. So the other day, I think Brad brought up the name tank. And my brother was was wondering who Tank was. And look at that. Chris Sinzak from Decibel Geek happens to name drop them today as one of his favorite albums of 1982. Foreshadowing. So, there you go. Foreshadowing. <laughs> they, were, they were clairvoyant and it wasn't even Seventh Son yet. Um, oh, man, I don't I don't know. <laughs> what that stands for Anthony I know I know new wave of British heavy metal but I don't know uh BWOBHM <laughs> um, a personal section on Craigslist or something there you go. Late night typing. Oh, okay. So you so you were mentioning a new wave of British heavy metal. Okay. No problem. Um, no, because there's other, you know, things like that now where there's new wave of American heavy metal, new wave of uh, whatever, retro heavy metal on Tuesdays. You know, there's all types of acronyms now. So I was like, whoa, Anthony's trying to 
blow my mind here with one of these uh, new acronyms, but I see that that's not the case. All right, cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was 100% new wave of British heavy metal. Um, Steve, since you're back, do you want to say something real quickly about Under the Blade? Um, sure. It's uh, an awesome album. It's definitely not my, my first intro to Twisted Sister, but uh, I have very uh, strong memory of it was Christmas Eve or day, and um, I had gotten a Walkman for Christmas. And my brother gave me under the blade tape and he was like, oh, here, this is, since you like stay hungry so much, he was like, I think this is actually a little bit better. So I put it in my Walkman and uh, I don't think I got the tape back. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, uh, a, lot of, a lot of my list was more, um, much like the live albums, it was more, something that was like special to me as opposed to you know necessarily like the best album yeah except under the blickers you know i mean come on <laughs> well i i i mean i think we all figured that twisted sister was yeah. going to be on top of the list you also had twisted sister rough cuts which i did see online what exactly mm. is rough cuts I think it was an EP that came out. Um, the only difference I could tell is it had Leader of the Pack on there. Okay, so like the original Leader of the Pack, not the one that they ended up putting on Come Out and Play. Yeah. Okay. I believe so. But I actually couldn't find any uh, – any time I looked it up, it just played with the Come Out and Play version. Okay, gotcha. So might have to do a little more deep diving. Because I, I believe they played in clubs and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's their whole thing with wanting to uh, do it on Come Out and Play is that before they became big, they would play it all the time, and it was faster, and it was a heavier song. And then one of the things that they complain about is the fact that when they did record it on Come Out and Play, that it, yes, they like it, but it wasn't what they had intended. Mm. So. Um, I like it. <laughs> You're well, that's your favorite band. I would, I would expect nothing yeah. less. <laughs> True, but yeah, uh, I can't tell if Brad is still with us or if he's still on a call. There he goes. Yeah, I, I still with us is a um, in very high, uh, open to interpretation. Yeah, weird <laughs> stuff going on here. Um, I, yeah, the list kind of shook out as I expected there. Uh, yeah, number, number of the beast. You know, it's it's hard to imagine Iron Maiden being a, a possible choice and not being number one on any on our collective list. Uh, it will be interesting when we do a year where they don't put an album out <laughs> to see what ends. I up. hope we get to that point. Uh, yeah, I mean, are, are we going to wait till next year to do eighty three so we can? No, eighty three. All right. So how this shakes out is every three months we're going to do it. We're going to do a year. Okay. So next month yeah, we're cause... probably going to do, I mean, uh, a few ideas that have been floated to me were uh, top 10 shows that we've seen or bands anyway, uh, top 10 bands that we've seen live top 10 thrash bands is another thing that was uh, suggested. So it'll probably be something along those lines. Um, in May, we'll talk about another band that we vote on. And then in June, we'll do 1983. 
That sounds great. Huh? So cool. we, we won't be waiting all that long to do an, another uh, another one of these lists. And, and while I have Number of the Beast open, did they Wait. release something? Did, was Peace of Mind 83? Um, yes, it is. So we'll, we'll yeah. have to wait till September. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be number one. And then in uh, 84 will be um, Power Slave. So, not if I have anything to say oh. about it. Whoa, <laughs> fighting words. Okay. But that means this one Stay Hungry see. came out. So, while I, while spoiler I, alert. While, while I have the uh, <laughs> mic here, is that this is really cool to have all these uh, dudes hanging out here jumping in on this one. So, well Absolutely. done, everybody who participated. Yeah, it, it is fun to, to get all you guys involved. Again, I realize that for uh, some people, the, the time is is difficult, you know, because yeah. we're on the other side of the pond. And it is, at least for me and Johan, it's 10 to 2. Uh, for Anthony, it's 10 to 1. For Ooh. Jeremy, who, who who just bailed, it's, it's also uh, 10 to 1. Uh, for, and for, for this guy, it's time to start drinking, right? It's, I'm off work now. Let's go. There you go. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> Not me. Actually, I'm still working. I got to yeah. work again in two hours, actually. Okay. Woo. There you go. But I can drink in between. They won't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday, isn't it? Oops. It's Friday somewhere. Yeah, this is the big uh, alcohol night in Utah. So is nobody it? likes to go to church with a hangover. <laughs> so yeah so friday nights when you get it gone get it on in, in any event i want to thank <laughs> something to be said about showing up the church hungover yeah There's a lot of dialogue well, between us oh, and the man above yeah well a lot of promises <laughs> so well, i see I see Chris is chiming in with Tank. Did you guys already talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mentioned that uh, that that was something that we talked about last week. Yeah. Okay. I'm writing this down. Damn it! And I'm gonna actually listen to this album, Chris. If you're still there, I hope you are. Yeah, he hasn't uh, responded since. Gets in with the theme for tonight with a fifth. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. It's like the the first car I had. It was four on the floor with a fifth under the seat. There you oh, go. Wow. <laughs> yeah i will uh, check it out too okay cool. we all have our homework yeah i've made a list yeah i mean if anybody if you're stuck with what you're listening to you don't know what to listen to you've heard everything whatever go visit a year go look back you know 20 30 years and what you were doing and it's fascinating what you can come up with like oh that it you know and Listen more into the tracks of what you maybe you missed. So this is a great homework assignment. Thanks. Absolutely. Awesome. Well yeah. I, I want to thank all you guys that are here uh, for spending time with me and putting the list together and, and spending time doing the stuff. Anthony, thank you for, uh, for being up this late and under these uh, special circumstances. Um it's awesome seeing your your uh, facial expressions as we are discussing these different things and and your your messages along the way. Um, thanks to everyone, you know the the diehards that you know support all the stuff that I do. 
Um, so thank you guys for, for all of this. It is always a ton of fun to talk to you guys. And, and again, we have people in how many time zones right now? I think it's like uh, six different time zones, if I'm not mistaken. Brad is off to save the world. Um, anyway, guys, thanks you, thank you for everyone that was here live watching or partaking. Thank you to anyone who's listening to the replay or watching it. Um, let us know what you think. Did your favorites make the list? Did they not make the list? What would you have preferred instead? Uh, you can comment uh, anywhere that you see the video or the podcast uh, posted. And thanks again. As, as I always say, there are a million things that you guys can be doing and you decide to spend time with me doing this. And I appreciate all you guys. So uh, thank you. And uh, we will see you next week. Our scheduled guest is a band out of Canada called Mall, which I first heard a few months back and think that they have a pretty cool album that has a huge maiden influence to it. So uh, we'll be back next week with them. And we'll be um, we'll be back uh, in a few days with uh, another episode of the podcast featuring Brad and my brother, which are outtakes from last week's live show. So uh, that is it, folks. On that note, I say see ya till next time, folks. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 